Hi, it's Zachy. In this episode, we wanted to seek out a voice from the disabled community. We sat down with David Leitner, a university professor who shared his story of being a wounded veteran. We discussed what brought him to the IDF from America, his injury, and how it affects him to this very day. You're listening to Anthem Testamiruna Ila, Israel Underground. Israel's disabled population, or differently abled population if you prefer, is one that can be taken for granted. Oftentimes our assumptions, or our fear of asking the wrong questions, lead us to not ask any questions at all. In this episode, we asked a disabled veteran about his story. We sat down with David Leitner, who served as a lone soldier in the IDF during which time an accident led to a chronic condition that affects him to this day, leaving him in a wheelchair and constant pain, and yet somehow he still manages to find the power to get through the day. We are so pleased to be joined by Dr. David Leitner, uh, a former mentor, even current mentor, uh, and happy to speak with him about uh, his life. Thank you so much for coming on, Dr. D. It's a pleasure. So to start things off, tell me, who are you? What do you do and where are you from? My name is David Leitner. I teach strategy and leadership at Bar-Ilan University. I also help people figure out strategy for their businesses or for their lives. Where am I from? Uh, oh, I live in Carnation Maroon and I'm from America. Um, uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. Uh, my dad's a conservative rabbi, so we moved congregations. But Middletown, Connecticut was, was my residence from age 10 till age 18 and therefore suits as home. You know, I kind of want to want to dive right in and speak a little bit about, you know, your background growing up in Connecticut with with your background in Judaism and and with your father, you know, doing what he did. How how did you kind of become acquainted with the idea of um Israel as a whole and, you know, eventually the army and 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 everything that you went on to do? Israel wasn't something that was front and center in my life. Mm-hmm. Really the first time I thought about Israel in a real central way was as I was reaching the end of high school. I was trying to figure out what I was going to be doing and where I was going to go. And I was I was pretty immature. I was actually, I wouldn't use the word very. I was a very immature 17 and 18 year old. Uh, and I needed a year to grow up. And my dad comes and goes, oh, by the way, here's something the conservative movement does. And he offered me a program in Israel. And I started reading about it. And it was interesting to me for a lot of reasons, mostly because it dealt with things like leadership. And it talked about being a Jewish leader. What really changed it for me was the juxtaposition of being the kid who kept kosher and the kid who sort of kept Shabbos to being just one of the normal people like everybody else that year. Like I came on a year to Israel and in that year, I was now part of the norm in every way, in every way possible. I could go out for food and it wasn't, you know, there was no issue. And so it wasn't so much that I was, it was Israel as much as it was, I just felt normal or I felt like I wasn't the outlier anymore i hope that makes sense yeah sure it's like an opportunity to come and and finally feel like you're not the the sore thumb 
And so how long did it take for you to, uh, to uh, you know, submit yourself to the siren song and, and make your way back? <laughs> um, actually, interestingly enough, um, my, I, I mean, I spoke to my dad about it, I think, once a week. It was, hi, dad, weekly uh, telephone call. By the way, I'd like to go back to Israel. <laughs> and um, I ended up going to Cuba over the summer to work on Jewish outreach. About two weeks before the end of the summer camp, I'm on my weekly conversation with my dad. And he says, David, by the way, you have to come home a week early. And I asked why. And he says, well, we bought you a ticket to Israel. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you keep saying you want to go, but you've never experienced it on your own. You've only experienced it as part of a, a group where you had, you know, people taking care of you. You need to go experience it. Mm -hmm. So I went home early, got on a plane and flew to Israel, ended up at Bar-Ilan University so I uh, I did two months of Bar-Ilan University's Opon, and then I went to Opon at Hebrew University. And there I started making really good friends who were all interested in living in Israel. Mm -hmm. And each of them was searching for their own way to live in Israel and what they were looking for. And one of the things I really was drawn towards was the idea of serving in some way, shape, or form. And then... Right. All these guys were like, we're going into the army. And I was like, that sounds awesome. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it the best I possibly can. So I started working out a lot. I was swimming three to four days a week. I was running. I was working out weights. Like I was pushing myself as much as I possibly could. And then your service begins. And what does that look like for you? Well, I mean, before I actually got into the army, I did... Um, I did these week-long tests that they decide where you're going to go. And the unit that accepted me was, um, it was called Maglan. It's, uh, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, I was a sniper specialist, or I eventually became a sniper specialist. Unfortunately, I had to leave the team as a result of ligaments in my my right ankle and that happened that actually happened on in the beginning of january of 2001 so it we just hit 20 years which was uh something of a, a kick in the chest okay so i guess if you're comfortable with it talk to me a little bit more about what happened in that january of, of 2001 okay sure um so one of the exercises, which it is very important, is how to move a wounded teammate from an area which is under fire and how to get him as quickly as possible from where he is to a place of safety. And it was an exercise we tried a couple of times and it's hard. It's hard until you learn the exact movements that will allow you to engage a person in a way that their body works with you. Mm -hmm. And during one of those exercises, I was asked to pick up um, our heavy machine gunner. And I, I was asked to pick him up with all of his, his, his weaponry and his ammo and everything. Um, and as I got up all the way, I put my foot wrong on a rock or I don't even know it was something and 
my my ankle twisted and i i i i heard this really loud like snap i at first i thought it was like something outside like a like a twig or or something and then i realized like i was the only one who heard it and it was inside my body and it then it started to hurt and it was a very very like sharp pain that i'd never felt before and um i couldn't get all the way up i actually dropped the the heavy machine gun and i dropped him on his head um as we fell down and i got yelled at horribly for it um and we stayed in the field for a few days and my ankle and my whole leg just it was really sore we eventually got up to the base and um and i saw the doctor and he said it was a very simple sprain um he gave me a few days to rest which when he says rest what he means is don't go out and into the field but do a whole bunch of work on base where it's not as demanding um and i did because i wanted to i felt like i was fulfilling a greater purpose but that motivation was also a detriment because i didn't have parents here who saw me coming home limping every time we came home i didn't have parents here who were worried enough to like be calling my my officer and going um what's going on with my kid's leg and as much as i was adopted by a family who is amazing as a lone soldier I was pretty much on my own with figuring out what it was I needed or even making demands. And I hated being demanding of the army. I, I hated having to ask for time off, but I had to, cause I needed to go take care of things for myself or I needed to go to the doctor to try and get my legs fixed because I kept pushing myself and my, my officers kept pushing me and my commanders kept pushing me because that's kind of what the army is. They have sayings like, you know, saying can't means you don't want to. And I, I, I know where that comes from. I understand the concept, but there's a detriment to that concept as well when you're talking about somebody's health. And I heard that statement a lot in Hebrew. It's, well, no, sometimes people's bodies just don't work. I got to the point where I was walking on asphalt, like, flat concrete or asphalt and I would twist my ankle. That's how bad it got. So how, I guess the, the state, I guess the physical state of your legs was deteriorating over time, culminating in a surgery. The mother of the family came with me when I had the surgery because my family couldn't, couldn't join me. And when I got out of surgery, I went back to the kibbutz and was in my bedroom all alone. I was traveling um, by cab because I, I couldn't get onto the buses properly. I, I mean, I was so rickety on, the, on these very worn out crutches. Um, and I, I, I was all alone, so nobody was gonna go help me get you know, better stuff. And I had no idea who to turn to in the army or, or anywhere. And nobody had contacted me from my unit to be like, oh, hey, um, what's going on with you? Do you need help? So, so talk to me about kind of how you got from this point where you're in crutches and, and still technically in a recovery phase to, I guess, um, where you are today. Sure. Uh, in terms of your uh, status. 
So apparently the swelling and the pain that I had been suffering um, were not as normal as the doctor originally thought. And we started a, a slightly more intense program where they were really trying to um, desensitize my foot. Unfortunately, they came to realize very quickly that um, there was severe nerve damage that resulted in a chronic pain disorder known as complex regional pain syndrome. So, so that was kind of the point where I guess you realized like, you know, maybe there's a different trajectory in store. It took a little while. It didn't take a long time, but it took a little while for it to sink in the magnitude of what was going on. And I was trying to figure it out on my own, which was really hard. Once they realized what was going on and what was happening to my leg, they very quickly sent me to a specialist. And they were like, okay, we're sending you to the guy who knows what this thing is. He's supposed to be able to help. Right. I was released from the army and I went through the process of getting recognized as a, the very first starting process of being recognized as a disabled veteran, which is a huge bureaucratic nightmare of epic proportions, which is a topic unto itself. <laughs> so, so you've been discharged and you go to register basically as a, as a disabled veteran. Right. They immediately started sending me to this doctor in Tel Aviv, but I was living on Kibbutz Saad, which meant that they were sending me three to five days a week by cab back and forth, which um, unfortunately as a result of the chronic pain was excruciating. The, the, the driving was the bouncing and the, was beyond uh painful i quickly also realized that i wasn't where i wanted to be i didn't want to be on kibbutz i wanted to try and do something move forward if i'm not going to go back to the military if i'm going to be doing this thing now then what else am i going to do and university seemed like the most logical next move right politics and strategy and military stuff were still things I mean, they, they'd always been things that I'd been interested in, and they were things that I was still very much interested in. Mm -hmm. So um, I found out that Barilon University was the only university at the time that had a BA that specialized in Army strategy and national security. Okay. So I applied and got accepted. And, uh, and the rest is history. The rest is history. I moved up to, uh, to Givachmuel. And at the time, I was doing therapy three days a week. So I was studying and doing therapy. And it was very difficult. I'm sure. So, so you spent your time in university kind of studying military theory and, and strategy. I, I want to take a little bit of time and, and make sure we leave some space uh, to discuss kind of where you're at today um, in terms mm -hmm. of managing your condition and kind of, you know, what your day-to-day -day looks like and and kind of um, move more in, in that direction. So first things first, like, what is your methodology for, for coping with your chronic pain? 
Uh, well, first and foremost, distract yourself. I mean, I distract myself. Mm-hmm. I try and find things that engage my interest enough that it somehow puts the pain in a, on a back burner. It's still there. Uh, it can be distracting depending on what's what level we're at and how how much I've already gone through. It's hard to explain. Um, the way I see um, chronic my chronic pain is very much through a lens that sounds kind of odd in that it's it's the world of D and D. And I only recently, relatively recently, came to this conclusion. It was about two years ago that I realized, hey, David, you've been using D and D as your you know Dungeons and Dragons as your frame for understanding your chronic pain because I would discuss the amount of energy that I could bring to any kind of event based on coins and hit points. The idea that I had these health points or hit points or coins that I, if I have a long rest, then I can come and bring more of myself to the table. And if I've been touched on my legs, then understand that, you know, for you, that might cost you know, 0.001 hit point, And for me, that costs 10 hit points. Uh-huh. Just that same touch. Um, but a long nap and your spell slots are fully recharged. It, yeah, I mean, maybe it depends, you know, a long nap and I might have enough energy to take care of the kids for a little while while my wife goes out, but without the long nap, we're all in a ca- catastrophic situation where, I'm exhausted and my body is not working right. And I can't bring myself to the table the way I need to. I see. I mean, there's very real implications for what happens on a day where, where I go through any event that takes me out of real like protection in the sense that like complex regional pain syndrome has a, an aspect to it of what's called allodynia, which is, is pain from touch, mm-hmm. which literally means that if I wear pants, it hurts. If I expose my legs to the wind, it hurts. If rain falls on my legs, it hurts. When I bump on the sidewalk and all of those little jars are moving my my wheelchair, that hurts. Now you're going to say, wait, why are you in a wheelchair? Because complex regional pain syndrome doesn't stay where it first appears, but very often spreads. And not only does it spread, but it can spread from one limb and then appear in another limb because the brain gets confused and says, oh, that pain is the normal thing. Let's make the other limb like the normal limb. And all of a sudden, the pain becomes normal in both legs. And that's what happened to me Um, about 10 years ago. I woke up after having had some like numbness in the leg and been like, Hey guys, my leg's been going numb. What's going on? And they're like, Oh, it's nothing. It's just, you're standing up too much. Try and sit some more. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And then I woke up one morning and my leg was swollen and I literally screamed because as I was trying to move the blanket off of my left foot, it was hurting. And (laughs) it was hurting on the same level as my right foot. And it was a whole new world because I I couldn't even get to my wheelchair, which I had. I had a wheelchair for like traveling distances, but I had been using crutches, right? 
I suddenly had to get to my wheelchair. My like it was an it was an interesting experience to say the least. Um, so for the last ten years, I've been in a wheelchair. Rolling around in a wheelchair sucks. Um, when there are bricks on the on the sidewalk, that's like an and an invitation for pain. But I do it if I'm going for a walk with my daughter, right? Or if I'm on my way to university and that's the only way for me to get from my car into the classroom. But I try and get to class early enough so that whatever bumps I had to go over, I can take a short, short, short rest <laughs> and make up those few hit points maybe so that when I come into the classroom, I'm, I'm pretty good. But there's a whole system that goes on behind it that my students don't see where I rest the day before as much as I possibly can. I don't do anything in the morning until I have to get into the car. Like there's a whole structure that helps provide me the capacity to go and do certain things that I enjoy that distract me and that will keep me distracted once I get home again sometime. Um, and there's other things. There's like volunteer work that I do, which helps distract over time. Is it something I can do on a set schedule? Nope. Because I can't tell you, like, I can't tell you what's going to happen if I go out of my office and suddenly my kid, you know, runs over to give me a hug, bumps my chair, and that bump is enough to take off the hit points that I was hoping to reserve for something else, right? And so, like, that's sort of how I frame things now in that I, A, look at things in terms of this world of Dungeons and Dragons. And also looking at it in terms of, well, what kind of systems and structures can I put into place in order to help create the environment that I need so that I can do the things I want to do? It means also being willing to say, hey, I'm not going to do certain things. And that's really hard. The other way that I deal with it, I guess, is by concentrating on other people. Um, and that's... There are days where that costs me tremendously, but if I helped get them out the door in the morning on time, and it means I've got to take a few hours rest in order to be available to do something for my students or with a person who needs my help, okay. I, I, as long as those hit points were well spent. Wow. That's, uh, that's really, really powerful stuff. I guess to, to kind of close things up, I want to kind of hear from you having taken your journey and having experienced what you've experienced. Do you consider yourself a happy citizen of Israel, a happy, you know, person who's who's kind of have done what they could for their country? Um if someone were to ask me tomorrow, "Hey David, do you want to go back into the IDF? Here's some, you know, um Here's some officers bars and we're going to give you a position where you can work the hours, whatever hours you feel like you can work, come and do your thing. Uh, I would jump at the chance mostly because it would definitely bring me to a point where I've reached um, closure. But on the other hand, I feel like the work that I do helping students, whether they are coming on Aliyah or they're coming for the years that they study at Bar Ilan and the work that I've done have been their own form of work for the Jewish people and for Israel. I don't know if I can say, hey, I can V, I feel like I've done enough. There's a limit to what I can do, though, 
given the circumstances that I face. And so I do try and say, yeah, I've done the most that I can, but I still want to do more. I'm, I'm always looking for something interesting to do. Uh, mm -hmm. um, if nothing else, it'll okay. distract me from my pain, which is a good thing. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope that uh, that this uh, interview has been enough of a distraction. Uh, Dr. D, before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about your story, your experience, or anything at all? Um, just to people who are considering going into the Army and have a choice on the matter, understand that it's not always, oh, I'm a life or death situation. There are other options out there and you should really think about them and be aware of them when you make this decision. I'm not saying don't do it, but consider and understand the entirety of potentiality that exists. I think there's another um, suggestion I would give that's also really important. And that's pursue your dreams. Even if you face adversity, don't give up. Push through. You can do it. It's possible even when it hurts. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Dr. Leitner, thank you so much for coming on. This has been, uh, I mean, gripping uh, and, uh, and really uh, a fascinating story. And I, uh, I appreciate uh, hearing it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. David's story teaches a lot about perseverance, and it sheds light on the perspective of those who sacrifice more than just their time in service of their country. If you'd like to hear more about his experience about being a person in a wheelchair in the state of Israel, tune in next week for a bonus mini-episode on the subject. Thanks for listening. We're excited to keep the show going, so if you have any suggestions for topics or people whose voices should be heard, drop us a line. You can send us a message on anchor.fm slash israel-underground, and you can also follow us on Facebook at il.underground. Israel Underground is written and produced by Eden and Zaki Farber-Hennessy. All additional audio is used under Creative Commons. Thanks for listening!